With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Running the option on first down. Hagan has it. He has room. He's got one man to beat. Now he pitches to Flanagan, and he may take it all the way. Flanagan's in for the touchdown. McKinley Wright from the logo. Got it! Oh, McKinley Wright. Hey everybody, welcome into the BSN Buffs podcast presented by Canyon Bakehouse. I'm your host, Henry Chisholm. Before we jump into the show, I want to tell you about the delicious certified gluten-free breads, bagels, English muffins, and other baked goods that are made right here in Johnstown, Colorado. Canyon Bakehouse's gluten, dairy, nut, and soy-free products make it easy for families to enjoy the taste and texture of fresh bread so everyone can love bread again. Find them at any major grocery store in the freezer or fresh bread aisle, or purchase online and visit canyonglutenfree.com to grab a coupon. What is up? It's Friday, uh, which is a lot of, like really exciting for most of you guys, I guess. But for me, it's kind of like the start of my weekend. No media availability for the Buffs today. No media availability for the Buffs tomorrow. Back up in Boulder Sunday. This is, I think, the first time I've had two days without having to do interviews since camp started. And I don't really know what to do with myself, to be honest. Actually, you want to know what I did with myself? We've been having that stupid clicking noise in the background of these podcasts. And I just spent a long time troubleshooting. Came up with an idea. I'd been using a few different mic cords, trying to figure out if any of those were the problem. I don't... I can't figure out what they were. But I got another mic cord, a fourth mic cord. Brand new. Combine that with some different settings on the board... Uh, podcast board records it and hopefully all those issues are behind us we'll see i mean I'm, I'm cautiously optimistic that we have it all figured out it's kind of tough for me to tell unless i go back and listen to the entire podcast which gets a little bit old but you click through listen to like 10 minutes total i actually actually i use this as an opportunity to get more podcast reps i actually recorded the entire podcast and then figured I'd just start over and do a whole nother one because I have free time today. I have time to perfect my craft. And the season's right around the corner. And so we need to be on point because we're going to be getting a bunch more listeners, hopefully, a bunch more subscribers. So excited. And really want to give you guys the best content we can. Then that starts with getting rid of that clicking noise that's just driving me crazy. We've run through the entire list of ideas, so hopefully this is the one. Again, cautiously optimistic. If it's not clicking now, it'll probably never click again, so something to get excited about. Moving along, though, into actual sports talk, because I know that that's why you're here, we're going to do something just a little bit different today. Uh, If you haven't noticed, the first, what, are we around like episode 20 now at this point? The first 20 episodes have been straight football talk which is good because it's important and we all love football. Football's, you know, my favorite sport. It's where we get to dig into the nitty-gritty X's and O's type stuff. And I don't know as much about that stuff with other sports, but I am going to learn. I enjoy watching sports. I just don't know all the strategies behind them all. So my takes are going to be a little bit different than my football takes. All right. Football season's right around the corner. Tomorrow, Saturday, there will be college football it's week zero Miami's playing Florida Arizona's playing Hawaii 
We are all going to be at Blake Street Tavern. Me, you listening, everybody else listening, all of us. Blake Street Tavern tomorrow to watch those games. Uh, it's technically the Broncos watch party from BSN, um, which means they'll be giving away free Broncos tickets. It means you get to watch Kevin Hogan start a football game, which maybe intrigues you. You know, he's a Pac-12 guy. Maybe you want to see what he's up to. If not, though, then you're like me, and we get to watch college football, and that's going to be a blast. Again, Blake Street Tavern. Watch party starts at 6. Uh, that Miami versus Florida game starts at 5. I'm going to try to get there closer to 5 than to 6. We'll see how things go, though. Hope to see you out there. Win some free Broncos tickets. That's it for that plug. But college sports season has already started. Last night, the Colorado Buffaloes soccer team played Drake at Prentup Field, I believe, maybe Prentup, Prentup. I'm going to learn the name of that field. All I know is that it's a pretty awesome complex. They have goals set up so that kids can play. They had some cornhole. They had uh, they sell alcohol there. Always cool. Always makes sports more fun. Um, yeah, it's a great facility. I was really excited to see it. I was more excited to see Taylor Korniak because she is incredible. I'd read a couple stories about the soccer team before I headed out there so that I'd kind of know what to expect so that when I ran into people, I could try to say something smart. Bailed on that strategy because did not know anything smart, except that Taylor Korniak is incredible. I tweeted last night that she is the Vontae, or not Vontae, the LaVisca Chenault of the Buff soccer team. And I think that that comparison is pretty spot on. When I was reading about her, I saw six foot one and thought, okay, yeah, six foot one's pretty tall. I think that the fact that I've been reading through football heights stopped me from realizing just how tall six foot one is for a soccer player because six foot one is massive. You see her out there and you're just like, what, what is this? How is what she's doing possible? It's, it's a strange thing. And it really is like LaVisca Chenault and that she has the size and all the physical gifts, but she also knows how to put them to use when she's playing the game. Because sure, being like six foot one and muscular in a women's soccer game, huge advantage. Most soccer players aren't that tall, or at least they weren't last night. Again, I'm, I, I don't have the deep takes here, but I can tell you what I saw. And what I saw was Taylor Korniak being the best player on the pitch the entire time she was on the pitch. When she finally scored like 50 minutes into the game uh, to put the buffs up one nothing, they won 2 nothing. They were the better squad by Drake. They uh, possessed the ball the entire game. They were pushing the ball up toward the goal the entire game. Uh, Taylor had a great chance before the one she scored. She scored on a header because she's really tall and because she knows how to use that high, like I said. But also she has the skill, like they'll pass her the ball. She'll like settle it and throw a no-look pass out there, not throw, but kick a no-look pass. I got to learn some soccer words. But but it's so impressive to watch her play this game. And I don't know. I, I had a blast. I had a lot of fun. And I know I mentioned that they have beers there and that like maybe that is why I'm get, hyping this up. I didn't drink any of the beers. This is all just my natural sober reaction to watching Taylor Korniak play soccer. My goodness. Um. Wow couple other points so we might as well finish things off with taylor she uh i believe she was the captain of the u.s u18 team so you know on the way to becoming u.s women's national team she's played with the u19 squad she's played with the u20 squad i believe she has the background of an elite soccer player i think she's ranked 20th in the country by some website that ranks women's ncaa soccer players the Buffs were 25th in the ranking recently. It's going to be a fun season. Pac-12 soccer is awesome. Those games were so much fun. I had a chance to... Uh, I spent a lot of time with uh, J.J. Tompkins' dad. She's the goalkeeper senior. Uh, just set the record for most wins for a goalkeeper in Buffs history last night. Uh, her family's pretty cool. I met... I'm, uh, I talked with Rick George for a while... Not long, I guess. A while is probably a stretch. A couple minutes. Um, talked to LaVisca Chenault for a quick second. He was out there. There were like 20 football players out there, which is awesome. Love to see them supporting all the other sports. I guess they're done with meetings. 
And what else are you going to do with no classes and no homework on a Thursday night? But still, awesome that they were out there. I had a chance to talk with uh, Rachel Black and her mother. So Rachel is a goalkeeper, and she's going to play for the Buffs next season. She's still in high school in Phoenix, but she signed with the Buffs when she was 14. Mind-boggling. She spent the last like three years knowing that she was going to play college soccer in Colorado, in Boulder, which is a strange concept. Like Just the fact that she was allowed to make that decision that young is weird. Interesting hearing her perspective on, on all of that. Like, she says she's never even considered going anywhere else. She had a bunch of other offers, Arizona, Arizona State, obviously, because she's down there, uh, Oregon. Some pretty, some pretty big-name schools uh, picked Colorado, which is awesome. She's, she's had some reps, or a couple runs at least, with uh, the U18, U17. Maybe it's like U16, U17 squads, uh, national squads. This is a really talented soccer team. They've they're putting uh, they're putting players in the NWSL every year. That's that pro women's soccer league. Still don't have a team in Denver, which is disappointing. But I'm all the way bought in there. Love football, but I had a blast. You guys should seriously check it out if you haven't yet. There's something about. I mean, we're going back to Taylor again. But you're, when you see her, your mind just does not leave. Like, how does this happen? So big, so skilled. Just the combination of those things is incredible. And there's something about watching a an elite soccer player that's different than watching elite players in other sports because it is a team game. It's like basketball. You have a star player. You can put the ball in his hands every time down the floor and win a bunch of games that way. I mean, you've seen it with Kobe Bryant, Allen Iverson, all that kind of stuff. Michael Jordan, obviously. But in soccer, it's such a true team game where you do have to pass the ball around. It's so easy to stop somebody one-on-one that a star one-on-one player is winning that battle, what, 50% of the time, 75% of the time if you're really good. So you still need to pass, and she's still, like, there's so much of the game you have to be good at. It isn't just this one-on-one stuff. When you think of watching Lionel Messi or Cristiano Ronaldo, and when there are 22 people on the field, to stand out like they do is incredible. And comparing Taylor to that is obviously a stretch because they are two of the best ever. But the difference between Taylor and most of the girls on the pitch is so wide that it becomes almost that same sort of, not one-man show, but she just has so much pull and it's, on her to like she she had a bunch of opportunities she scored the one goal she set up she got the assist on the other goal she put another off the post it's it's so much fun to watch don't make this one of those things where you're thinking all all uh season like i need to get out there and catch one of these games just get one out of the way soon so that you can see how awesome it is because I think you'll be hooked and I think you'll catch a bunch of them. And I don't want you to like catch the last last game of the season and be like, oh, wow, I wish I'd seen more of this. Because this is pretty cool what's happening up in Boulder. You guys got to check it out. Um, next game, I'll be there Sunday at noon. They play Boston University, which I think should give them a little bit more of a challenge than Drake based on nothing other than how strong their football programs are because that's how these things work, I guess. But it'll be a lot of fun. I'll be out there. Uh, You should be too. I'm sure a bunch of the football guys will be out there. Rick George will probably be out there. Cool environment. Great way to spend an afternoon. Yeah. Uh, It's time now to take a second and acknowledge Breckenridge Brewery, the official beer of BSN Denver. Breckenridge is the original Colorado beer established in 1990 in Breckenridge, Colorado. You've probably heard of their delicious vanilla porter, their oatmeal stout, and most people's personal favorite, the world-famous Avalanche, which is their classic American amber ale. But they just released a new beer called Strawberry Sky that you guys are going to love. For you beer enthusiasts out there, they're calling this a lighthearted Kolsch ale. But for those of you who have no idea what that means, this is that light, delicious summer beer that you've been looking for. So look for Strawberry Sky at your local liquor store or any other Breckenridge beer. And make sure you also look out for the Breckenridge event calendar on bsndenver.com. You'll be able to see all of the events we have planned. And we will be drinking Breck beers at all of them. So RSVP and have a good time. Okay. So... 
that was all of the non-football talk for the day. We'll have more non-football talk as the seasons go along because there's a lot of awesome stuff going up in Boulder or going on up in Boulder. Uh, Cross-country team women obviously won a national championship last year. Going to have to get a little bit of talk about that. Buff soccer. We're going to be a little more versatile, a little more varied as we go forward, but football is what draws 50,000 people to the stadium, so we got to get into that, especially because the Buffs dropped their first depth chart of the season yesterday. So I want to run through that. Starting at quarterback. Uh, So the starter there is Steven Montez. No surprise at all. Behind him, Tyler Lytle or Blake Stenstrom. They threw that or in there. Um, So Sam Neuer was behind Lytle and Stenstrom, which is probably why he switched to safety because there's a little more opportunity for playing time. Not a huge surprise at quarterback. Maybe you'd expect Tyler Lytle to be the number one, or not the number one, but the number two ahead of Blake Stenstrom. We'll see who gets on the field if something happens, if there's a blowout. Let's call it a blowout and still knock on wood because I almost led into that. Like, We'll see what happens if Steven Montez gets hurt. Knock on wood. Uh, tailback, Alex Fontenot, Jaron Mangum, Deion Smith, Jarek Broussard. Again, not much of a surprise. I think Fontenot's probably the lead back, but that might mean that he's splitting time still pretty evenly with Jaron Mangum. Uh, Deion Smith ahead of Jarek Broussard. I guess you can read a little bit into that. Deion Smith has been hitting some home runs in practice. Jared Broussard projects as maybe the best receiving back. It just kind of fits his style. Little, shifty, speedy guy. The fact that he's number four and I still expect him to be their best receiving back means that they probably will go four deep in this rotation, throw Deion Smith on the field. I can't remember if I said this on the podcast or just put it in a story, but the Buffs running backs have been switching every two reps in practice. So Alex Fontenot gets two. He comes out for Jaron Mangum, who plays two snaps. Uh, he comes out for Deion Smith, who plays two snaps. That's been the rotation. Maybe that's something they're going to do during the season. Maybe they'll sh- switch it up a little bit. Maybe they start playing guys a little more situationally. Again, at tailback, it isn't quite so much about the order because we pretty much knew the order. It's about what that rotation looks like and how the reps are broken down, whether it's you know 40%, 20%, 30%, 1 through 4, or whether it's 25, 25, 25, 25. We'll find that out next Friday when the Buffs take on Colorado State and the Rocky Mountain Showdown. Tight end now. Uh, number one, Brady Russell. Number two, Jalen Harris. Number three, Bo Bisharat. Number four, Darion Jones. First surprise for me, I would have expected Darion Jones to be higher on this list. He's a guy who's been getting a lot of hype at camp. Uh, he's six foot six, two fifty five. He's a senior. There was a lot of stuff that was pointing toward him being one of the guys who's going to get quite a bit of playing time. The fact that he is number four makes me think that they might rotate pretty deep at tight end as well as running back. Uh, Brady Russell, number one. I I might have projected Jalen Harris to be number one over him. It was probably like sixty forty in my mind in favor of Harris. Again, not a huge surprise that's Brady Russell. This is a group that's filled more with blockers than pass catchers. I would have expected Darion Jones to be higher on the list because I do like his pass catching ability. Not because I know too much about his game exactly, but because of the way guys have been talking about him in practice that he has been flashing. Kind of interesting. Kind of move. Kind of just time to move on. I guess I don't know. Uh, offensive line again, no surprises. Arlington Hambright, Kerry Kutch. Tim Lynott at center, right guard, Colby Purcell, right tackle, William Sherman. That's the group that we've been expecting for a while now to see. Um, not much I really feel like I have to add. We've talked a lot about what this offensive line needs to do to step up, and it's the group that we expected to see uh, that they need to step up. On to the receivers. LaVisca Chenault starting at the X. Daniel Arias backing him up, which we talked a little bit about yesterday, or not yesterday, day before yesterday. We will go back around to talk about Tony Brown because I spaced him and put him on my notes, skipped over that note, did not not talk about him in the wide receiver breakdown. We'll get to that in a minute. But first, LaVisca Chenault, number one at the X, Daniel Arias, number two at the X. 
what we were talking about on that podcast, Daniel Arias fits as the guy who's going to fill in for LaVisca Chenault after LaVisca goes to the NFL. Whether he gets much run this year or not, who knows? Cutting down the mental errors, but might still be a little bit raw in that regard. The other two receiver spots listed have ors. So Katie Nixon or Tony Brown at the Z, Dimitri Stanley or Katie Nixon at the H. The H is the slot receiver. This is the one that surprises me because when I talked to Davion Jones last week, Davion said that he hasn't seen Katie Nixon in the slot. He's been going up against Dimitri Stanley, Jalen Jackson, Curtis Shiverini. Those are the slot receivers. Made us think that KD is going to be spending more time outside. I still think that's true. Honestly, very, very surprised that KD Nixon is listed with the slot receivers. The ors are interesting because how you can read into that. So it's KD Nixon or Tony Brown at the Z. Dimitri Stanley or KD Nixon in the slot. So that means that it's either going to be KD Nixon outside with Dimitri Stanley inside, or it'll be Tony Brown outside with Katie Nixon inside. I think that Tony Brown will still be the number four receiver. That just seems to be his role. I talked with him earlier this week, and he said, I mean, he's not worried about snaps. He knows he's in the rotation. He's pretty confident in that. What he is is just more of a prototypical receiver than most of the other guys on this roster. LaVisca Schnault's a freak. That's his job, to just do the freak things that he does. Katie Nixon is a great downfield threat. He's speedy. He has great ball skills downfield. Dimitri Stanley is a shifty guy, fits perfectly in the slot. Tony Brown just kind of blends everything together and is a prototypical, well-rounded receiver. I think that makes him a very good number four. He's a guy that you can put in anywhere and trust him. He's a veteran presence. He's all those things that we often talk about with seniors who are getting their first, not not their first playing time, but their first playing time where you expect to see them on the field as contributors consistently. Uh, ta- talking to Darren Shiverini earlier this week, he said that he expects to go six to eight deep at wide receiver. That's the rotation. And that depends on a bunch of things, primarily whether they're able to move the ball down the field consistently. Because when you're having those 8, 9, 10 play drives, there are more opportunities to switch the receivers in and out. When you go out there for the first play of a drive, you're putting LaVisca Chenault, Katie Nixon, and Dimitri Stanley out there probably. If that goes 3 and out, you're not going to get much time for these other receivers. It's all about getting those longer drives. That's what Chivarini said. 6 to 8 receivers is a lot. And there's potential for these buffs receivers to be put in some interesting situations. So top five are LaVisca Chenault, Katie Nixon, Dimitri Stanley, Tony Brown, probably Daniel Arias. After that, there are a bunch of guys who could still redshirt. So you could just say Vontae Chenault plays four games. Uh, Maurice Bell plays four games. Jalen Jackson, Curtis Shiverini, Braden Huffman-Dixon, they all play four games. And you just patch together this whole season where you have different receivers and keep them all around for an extra year at the end of their careers. I don't think that's what they're going to do. I think they're going to play whoever gives them the best chance to win. I think with Vontae Chenault and Braden Huffman-Dixon in particular, they're going to be thinking about the redshirt thing. They're going to be trying to keep them out of games as much as they can. They're still pretty raw. They still probably aren't your best contributors at this point anyway. They are deep, but you want to see what you have in them, and you want to give them some reps so that they aren't just thrown into the fire, And whether that's next year or the year after, when it's time for them to be big contributors. They'll be playing late in games. Again, while it's while it's intriguing, we're going to say intriguing, that uh, Katie Nixon and Tony Brown are listed as oars, Dimitri Stanley, Katie Nixon are listed as oars, it's it's not all that surprising. We just need to see what that rotation looks like. What what do the reps look like? I mean, is Katie Nixon on the field 60% of the time or 90% of the time? Neither of those two things would surprise me all that much. Uh, they both kind of surprise me. But it's, it's somewhere in that window, and the depth chart isn't going to tell us how many reps guys get, just who's going to get the most. 
that was a lot of receiver talk, but let's move on to the defense now. Starting with the defensive line. Defensive end, they have one listed because they have the nose tackle, defensive tackle, and that 3-4. Um, defensive end, they have Terrence Lang, Janaz Jordan, Jaden Simon. That's a young group. Sophomore, sophomore, freshman. Terrence Lang, I really like. He's a big, long guy. He can stop the run. I think he can get off the passer. What you kind of expected to see at that position. Nose tackle, Jalen Sammy, Austin Williams, Lloyd Murray Jr. Again, about what you thought you were going to see. Defensive tackle, Mustafa Johnson, Naeem Rodman, Jeremiah Doss. All nine of these guys will probably get quite a few reps this season. Uh, Mel Tucker said that he wants to rotate eight or nine guys in that defensive line. So there you go. There are nine names. Those are probably the nine we're going to be seeing on the field. You're confident Mustafa Johnson. A lot of question marks behind him. Jalen Sammy, lots of hype. He could be very good. 6'6", 320. But he's a redshirt freshman. We really haven't gotten to see much out of him. As a recruit, though, he checks a lot of boxes. Terrence Lang, similar situation. Saw more of him. We'll see. Behind that, Naeem Rodman has gotten a lot of hype from the coaching staff, from uh, various players on the team as well. He's a true freshman. We'll see what he can bring to the table. This is going to be a group that is going to be a lot of fun to watch, at least for me. There's question marks for sure. They could just flop. But there's so many guys who have the potential to break out. Because for most of them, we've only seen their recruiting profiles. And it's all projection. Any one of those guys could outlive their rankings. Any of those guys could just flop as well. We'll see how it all goes. Uh, Outside linebacker, they have Carson Wells starting over New Moto Fallow on on one side. On the other side, they have Alex Changham, Jacob Callier, Jamar Montgomery. About what, I've, what, about what I would have expected. Callier is interesting because he got so much playing time as a freshman. Now back for his sophomore season. He, if, if he was starting, that wouldn't have surprised me. If he was listed number three, that wouldn't have surprised me. Again, lots of rotation on this defense. At least that's what I expect. Carson Wells is my my best guess for the strongest of the outside linebackers. The guys, The guy who's going to be the biggest contributor, the most frustrating for Buffs fans to be taken off the field uh, by the end of the season. Inside linebacker, your starters are Nate Landman and John Van Deest, what we've been hearing all camp, uh, being backed up by Akil Jones and Josh Allen. There you go. That's what we expected. Starback, uh, Davion Taylor one, number two, Mark Perry, number three, Dylan Thomas. This is interesting because we've been hearing that Makai Blackman would be in that conversation for star. Makai is starting at left cornerback. Um, I don't know what to read into this because there's also no money position listed because that isn't a starting spot. There wasn't a money position starting in camp, but we did hear from Davion Taylor that he likes playing the money. So star back is your hybrid cornerback, outside linebacker. They have it listed as an outside linebacker safety hybrid, but same deal, I guess. It's basically your slot corner. Um, when Then that's when you go with the nickel. When you go with the dime, bring a sixth defensive back onto the field. That's your money guy. He's a hybrid safety inside linebacker. That position isn't listed because it isn't a starter. Davion Taylor could shift there, and Makai Blackman could shift into the starback spot. Maybe Mark Perry's actually going to be your money guy. Uh, maybe Mark Perry's just going to come on the field as a starback, and they're going to leave Makai Blackman outside. I think the interesting thing here is that if you look at the offense, actually, left tackle, you have Arlington Hambright, then Frank Phillip. Right tackle, you have Will Sherman, then Kanan Ray. My bet is that if something were to happen to William Sherman, again, knock on wood, Frank Phillip would be the guy that fills in at right tackle, but since he technically is a left tackle, they list him on the depth chart at left, even though he is kind of their swing tackle, their third tackle who will take the field. Makai Blackman could be not listed at star back because he is starting at corner, and they don't want to list him twice in two different positions. So he could shift inside. He could stay outside with Mark Perry coming on the field. Again, it's great to have this list of names to kind of know 
the order who to expect the most reps for. At the same time, the splits are just as important as the order. Whether somebody's on the field as the number two at a position for 10% of snaps or 30% of snaps. And we don't get to know that until we watch the the, the actual game. Cornerbacks, like I said, Makai Blackman, number one on the left side, backed up by K.J. Trujillo and Tariq Luckett. Luckett, the former receiver, K.J. Trujillo, young guy, been making plays in camp, we've heard. He's going to be asked to see the field quite a bit, would be my guess. Uh, right cornerback, Delrick Abrams, number one. Chris Miller backing him up. Chris Miller's probably your number three corner with K.J. Trujillo, number four. Tariq Luckett, number five. Um, boy, is that a young, inexperienced group. Could work out. They're talented guys, but seeing it on paper, yikes. Uh, free safety. Mikhail Onu, number one. Isaiah Lewis, number two. Strong safety. Aaron Maddox, number one. Darian Rakestraw, number two. Sam Neuer, former quarterback, number three. There's going to be a lot of rotation on the back end of the defense, is my expectation. Onu and Maddox starting. Probably what I would have guessed. Uh, Rakestraw, Lewis back him up. Makes sense. Um, the one interesting note, Trey Udofia is out for personal reasons. Would have factored into the safety rotation. I doubt he would have started, but he probably would have been one of the first couple guys off the bench. Maybe the first guy off the bench. Maybe stole a starting spot. Don't actually know what happened there. I haven't dug into it yet but I'm sure we'll be figuring that out here pretty quickly. That's it for the defense. Again, lots of young guys in this rotation. Lots of young guys being asked to learn a complex system. Might be a bit of a learning curve early in the season. You hope not, but it feels like that might be what's coming. On to special teams. The big news here, LaVisca Chenault not listed as returner. That's kind of been one of the storylines of camp. LaVisca Chenault catching punts in open practice, catching punts in other practices as well. Mostly, I mean, I asked him why, and he told me, I can't remember if I've said this on the podcast or just wrote it in a story, but he said that he just wants the practice, that he doesn't want to return punts, but at the same time, it's not his decision, it's the coaching staff's decision, and it sounds like they wanted what he wanted. Um, and that's to have Dimitri Stanley return punts with KD Nixon backing him up. Then KD starting at kickoff returner um, with Jarek Broussard, number two, Maurice Bell, number three. We can read into this if we want. A lot of teams are scared to put their best guys at returner. The Buffs didn't put LaVisca back there, but they did put two of their three starting receivers and two of their four, the way they line it up with Tony Brown, I guess, Potential for injury, also plenty of potential for big plays. I'm really excited to see Dimitri Stanley back there because he projects as a guy who should be an outstanding returner. Just the shiftiness, the top-end speed. He could he could get some serious recognition this year. I think that he could be one of the best returners in the Pac-12 as a true freshman, and I'm really excited to see him get the opportunity. Katie Nixon... Again, makes sense to put him back there. Speedy guy, particularly on kick return. Dangerous, but you got to put the offense in a good situation, and he can do that. Punter, kicker, Alex Kinney, James Stefano. Uh, holder, Alex Kinney. Snapper, JT Bale. But they did list their, they call it coverage slash return unit regulars. So these are guys who are going to be contributing significantly on special teams. Daniel Arias, again, makes sense. He'll get some time at receiver, I bet, but he's so big and so fast. He should be one of your top special teams guys. Number two, though, John Van Deest, a starting inside linebacker, is going to be one of their big special teams contributors. This is something you don't see often. You see it with teams like Michigan who almost make playing special teams, they're, it's it's an honor. It's not something that's relegated to your worst or youngest players as like a rite of passage. It's something that you have to earn. 
they have their best guys there. Think back to Jabril Peppers being the best example. Maybe Mel Tucker's taking a page out of that book, throwing John Van Deest, a starting inside linebacker, on the special teams unit. Uh, they also have Bo Bisharat, Lucas Cooper, and Nico Magri listed. That's about it for the depth chart. I think we've hit all the key takeaways. If you guys have any thoughts on any of this, anything that surprised you, anything that disappointed you, anything that excites you, throw them in the comments and we will talk about them on Monday show because it's the weekend and there's no podcasts on Saturday and Sunday. Um, it's time now to tell you about some game-changing coffee. Strava Craft is the CBD-enriched coffee that has really changed lives. The reviews are incredible, so check them out. The CBD-infused coffee has taken away long-term migraines, back pain, arthritis, IBS. It has a chance, or it has it has helped decrease anxiety. You name it. CBD is all natural and not psychoactive. The coffee is rich and tasty, and we couldn't recommend it more to our listeners. Check it out for yourself today and receive 20% off when you use code BSN2019 at checkout, and you will get it shipped straight to your door. Hey guys, it's Allie and Lindsay here, and we want to talk to you about our new favorite wine subscription. It is Winester. The best thing about Winester is that they work with small wineries. You know BSN loves supporting small local businesses, and Winester is just that, supporting real people making real wine. These guys will curate a hand-picked shipment for you from the best small wine producers in the U.S., so my favorite part about Winester is the fact that I don't really know much about wine and when I go to a liquor store, I tend to gravitate towards the same wine I've always had instead of trying something new. But with Winester, they make the process so easy. That's exactly right, Allie. And from my perspective, you guys, I love wine and have tried so many different types of wine at different price points. And Winester is not only easy, but it is quite literally some of the best wine I've ever tasted, and it makes for an amazing gift. What's also ideal about Winester is that you can pick your shipments based on your schedule. That's right, Allie. So whether you're a casual drinker or you love hosting parties, you can get your shipment based on your lifestyle. So head to their website today, you guys. That's W-I-N-E-S-T-Y-R, Winester.com. We've got BSN25 promo code for you, and you can save $25 off your first order. Final segment now, and you all know what that means. It is time to hear what you have to say about the buffs or, I mean, really anything. You could get away with putting anything in this comment section. We didn't have a chance to go through the comments yesterday because we had Justin Michael on. I know you guys have some takes about that, and I hope you come out to Blake Street Tavern tomorrow so that you can uh, let him know what those takes are. But let's jump into it. Uh, starting with NYTJ buff fan says, Henry adding to the below, I would surmise the wide receiver depth as follows. LaVisca Chenault, Dimitri Stanley, Katie Nixon, or Tony Brown as your top three receivers. Uh, your number one line. You hit the nail on the head. That's exactly what they have listed. Um, I think that that's right. I do think that it's going to be Katie. The Katie Nixon or Tony Brown surprises me. I think Katie Nixon has that top spot locked up. The question to me is whether Tony Brown or Dimitri Stanley sees the field more, and I do expect it to be Dimitri Stanley with Tony Brown kind of rotating in almost evenly. Not quite, though. So your second line, um, according to NYTJ Buff fan, Daniel Arias, Jalen Jackson, Tony Brown, or Mo Bell? Uh, Yeah. Yeah, makes sense. Number three, Vontae Chenault, Curtis Chivarini, Mo Bell. In reality, I think we are likely to see only lines one and two, unless it is a blowout. In those cases, I hope we can limit Vontae Chenault to four games so he can keep that red shirt. I think Huffman Dixon is absolutely a red shirt candidate and unlikely to play a substantial role this year at all. Now, if when they go four wide receivers, I think we see the following. Uh, first line, LaVisca Chenault, Dimitri Stanley, Katie Nixon, then Tony Brown or Daniel Arias, I think that's right. I think that I think that that's uh, spot on. So Dimitri Stanley, I think, will be in the slot. Katie Nixon probably moves into the slot based on this depth chart that we saw. And then Tony Brown or Daniel Arias will be outside. 
Brown is going to get most of those reps would be my guess. And then onto his second line, Daniel Arias, Jalen Jackson, Mo Bell, Bonte Chenault. Yeah. Jalen Jackson, Maurice Bell, probably in the slot in that scenario. I think that you're right on there. Uh, you did mention the Huffman Dixon is absolutely a redshirt candidate. Yes. I think Vonte is much more likely to receive a, a, an important role this year that would stop him from becoming a redshirt. Uh, all that said, I appreciate the continuous content. Now, what, when, how will the tight ends factor in when you have this much talent at wide receiver? Who do you take off the field in a two wide receiver set? How often do we think there will be an 11 personnel, 12 personnel? Will we see 21 personnel at all with the relative, uh, relatively positive news we've heard about the running backs, but without a true fullback on the roster? Thanks, NYTJ. Some good questions. Um, first, a quick note. So talking about 11 personnel, 12 personnel, 21 personnel, for those of you who aren't familiar with those terms, here's the concept behind them. So every snap on offense, you will have 11 players on the field. Five of them will be offensive linemen. One of them will be a quarterback. That leaves five other spots for guys that can be at any position, whether that's, you know, you could bring on an extra lineman, I guess, but generally it's going to be running backs, tight ends, wide receivers that fill those five roles. So when you hear 12 personnel, for example, that means one running back, two tight ends, the rest wide receivers. So the first number is running backs, second number is tight ends, and then whatever's left over is the number of wide receivers out of those five. So how often do we think there will be an 11 personnel, one running back, wide to tight end, three receivers? I think that that's going to be the base. I think that that just makes sense. We've heard that this is going to be more of a pro-style offense. And those pro-style offenses, usually a running back, one or two tight ends, and then two or three receivers. Since it is a college offense, and they do have so much more talent at receiver than they do at tight end, so much more depth, I think that that will be the base. Three receivers on the field with a running back and a tight end. After that, it gets interesting. So the 12 personnel, one running back, two tight ends, two wide receivers, I think that that's going to be used about evenly with the 10 personnel, one running back, four receivers. Um, again, this is speculation, and we really don't know until we see the field, but I wouldn't be surprised if there are some more of those four wide receiver sets. I don't know. I, thinking about it more, I think I do give the edge to 12 personnel, but I do think the 10 personnel is just behind it. If, if only because they want to run the ball and they have so many blocking tight ends that it makes sense to use them. 21 personnel, though, is... I don't know. I don't know how much they'll use that. Make a good point with them not having a fullback, which is why I would expect to see very little of it. Because when you're running the 21 personnel, that means that you're using two running backs on guys who aren't good run blockers when usually the 21 personnel is a running formation with a lead blocker. And who's your lead blocker? Alex Fontenot? Maybe Jaron Mangum? I don't really like it. I think that the way that they would use that is more as a unique passing set. So if, if, you, think of, if you think of what the Saints did uh, before they lost Mark Ingram with Ingram on the field and Alvin Kamara, just giving two looks and having them both running around catching passes it's it's a unique thing that you don't see very many places in football with a guy like Jarek Broussard you don't you can you can keep the defense on their toes because whenever they see a running back in the huddle they're going to match a running back with a linebacker they see a receiver they're going to match the receiver with a cornerback so by putting two running backs on the field you're, you're asking to see a lot of linebackers on the defensive side, a bulkier defense, which makes it tougher to run, easier to pass. Jarek Broussard could be a guy that they bring on the field and then flex out of the backfield, put him in motion, put him out in the slot, and have him run routes with a linebacker in coverage on him. I think that that would work very well. You also have guys like Katie Nixon who... 
you could see lining up in the backfield as well as strong receivers who could flex out. And we saw this a lot last year where LaVisca Chenault would line up in the backfield. He'd line up at H-back. And having these guys who can play different positions, line up in different positions, lets you manipulate the defense. And that's something that is kind of hard to account for when you're talking 11 personnel because LaVisca Chenault was lining up as a tight end. So do you call that like, do you call him a tight end? Do you count him as a receiver? Do you count him as a running back? You know, so I do think 11 personnel is the base. 12 personnel is probably a little more used a little more often than 10. I think it'd be a lot of fun to see the 21 personnel. I don't know how much they'll actually run it. It could be part of what they're really trying to do, but I think they'll want to get those receivers on the field. All that said, there's going to be a lot of little quirks to everything. LaVisca Chenault, you count him as a receiver when he runs up and lines up in the backfield. And I still think that even though it is a more pro-style offense, you'll see, I mean, we've heard that there's going to be quite a bit of pistol and some, some different concepts that will make it tougher to, to, to name what exactly this offense is trying to do. And that's honestly pretty exciting. I like that they will have that sort of flexibility. It's very modern. I guess, without being just screen passes. Um, moving along into the part of the comment section where people roast me for getting about Tony Brown. Uh, starting with B-Bector22. No love for Tony Brown, huh? I've heard many times he's our most consistent receiver and in line for being in the top four. Yep, I think he's number four, just like you said. Uh, I had him in my notes. I was going to talk about him because I actually talked to him just a few days ago about his role and then just skipped over that section of my notes um yep i think number four most consistent yeah eh i mean i don't know what consistent is the word just just a prototypical receiver who can do what you need him to do he can patch whatever hole you need patch whether that's on the outside whether that's on the inside i think that he's going to rotate and he's going to be a factor uh, B Mixer, who I got to talk with for a while at the soccer game last night. He was out there. You guys should be out there too because it's I mean it's $35 for season tickets and it's a blast. It's an excuse to hang out in the sun. Uh, B Mixer says, in my opinion, Tony Brown and Maurice Bell will play before Dixon and Levante. Uh, yep. Um, both have been mentioned by Tucker in fall camp. Yeah, Mo Bell's interesting. Uh, we've heard that he has very sticky hands. I could see him being five. I think that he will be five. I think that that's a good spot for him. Uh, Huffman, Dixon, Levante, those are just guys who are going to be exciting when they get on the field in blowouts. Uh, Vante. Vante uh, will... He, he, Vante may have a chance to have a larger role, which is something I said earlier. So those are the podcasts from the show... Bef- or the comments from the podcast before. Now we're getting the comments from yesterday's pod where people wanted to roast Justin Michael and... I think that that's a good idea. Um, the first one comes in from Bbector22. Okay, okay, a few thoughts on the RMS discussion and Nebraska. One, there will be way more excitement for the upcoming non-con, Texas A&M, TCU, Nebraska, Missouri, Florida, to name a few, than CSU. Yep, I agree. I do agree. Um, with one little caveat. So, there will be more excitement in Boulder. There will be more excitement from Buffs fans to play. I mean, Texas A&M, Florida, Missouri. Those are fun teams to play. Buffs fans are going to really prefer playing those to playing Colorado State. But to the casual fan, and even people who don't really consider themselves fans, I think that around Colorado, there may be a little more buzz about CSU than Missouri. Not from the diehard football people, but from the people who have of mild interest in what's going on just because it is an in-state rivalry. And it's a chance for, you know, a CU grad who maybe doesn't follow the football team all that closely to talk some trash with their CSU counterparts at whatever office they work at. You know, you're missing that kind of stuff from these games. For the people who really care, for the people who really follow, yeah, Texas A&M is a lot more fun, a lot more exciting than Colorado State. To the random person you walk up to in the street in Denver, might be CSU. I don't know. Number two, in no way is the Rocky Mountain Showdown in Denver the best tailgate. It's a 
shoot show, we're going to say. Uh, game will be much better in Boulder and Fort Collins, and tailgates in general are more fun on campus. I do get that it's good for the state, which is why it's perfect to play it every few years going forward. Yeah, I think I agree with most of that as well. I mean, I haven't been to the tailgate. I can't compare. I think that the the biggest the biggest point for me for keeping it on the campuses, especially speaking from the Buffs' perspective, is that they're they need to figure out who they're marketing to. We've heard a lot about how the Buffs athletic department wants people in Denver to become Buffs fans. They want this to be their college. They want them to be supported here in Denver like, you know, maybe Georgia is supported throughout Georgia in all the big cities, not just in Athens. Uh, Same thing with Alabama where they have this statewide support. And Denver's only 30, 40 minutes away, so it makes sense that you'd want to get more, more people feeling like this is their hometown school, that they should be bought in. At the same time, though, I don't know that they have Boulder bought in enough for Denver to be something that they really need to be thinking about at this point. When I was talking to Mel Tucker a couple weeks ago with Ryan, he said that he wants this to be, or Boulder to be a football town, just like Athens is, or just like Tuscaloosa is, where people know the names of the recruits. They know who they're after. Uh, The people on the street can tell you about their defensive schemes because it's just that ingrained in the culture. And that's not how things are in Boulder right now. I think that they could definitely get back there. I think that they need to win games to make that happen. They need to build the excitement that they had 20 years ago. It could happen, and it needs to happen. And that should be the focus, getting Boulder back before getting Denver to become Buffs territory. Like, getting Denver and Boulder kind of, sort of, mostly bought in isn't nearly as good as getting Boulder all the way 100%, you know, when babies are born, they're putting buffs gear type things. And that that should definitely be the focus. Before the Rocky Mountain Showdown, like, sure, there'll be people tailgating, but they'll also be around the bars in Denver. And after the game, everybody's going to be going out to the bars in Denver. And that's cool because the people in Denver will see, oh, wow, look at how much fun having college football is. We should be more supportive of college football. We should go up to Boulder and be a part of this. First, you got to get that in Boulder. You got to show the casual fan in Boulder who isn't going to the games, who might watch half the games. You have to shove it in their face how much fun college football can be. And that means bringing your rival, your in-state rival to your house and having these bars up in Boulder be packed with people who are at the game because I'm sure the bars will still be packed watching uh, Colorado play Colorado State in Boulder, but having 50,000 people leaving that stadium and looking for something to do in Boulder, that proves a point to the people up there. That's, That's a community that they'll want to get involved in. They'll see how much fun these people are having and start to buy in more. You have to make that happen. Bringing the games back to the campus is so huge. Having them in Denver, sure, it expands the brand. You get a couple more people who are like, oh, yeah, this is cool. That's not what you're looking for. You need more diehards, and then you need these people to follow. That's when you expand out to Denver. And, I mean, maybe that's how things were in Boulder when this series in Denver started. I don't know. But that's what they need to get back to before it makes sense. Playing the game every two years, I I like it. Take a year off, play a game in Fort Collins, take a year off, play the game in Boulder. Because there is some value in having people around Colorado be able to talk trash. Because so many of the people here did go to Colorado or Colorado State and see that as a rivalry. Because it is a rivalry. I don't know that you need to make it die, but it isn't what's best for Boulder at this point. Let's bring in some exciting teams like like Missouri that get the diehards riled up. The people who know college football riled up okay i spent too long on that moving on to the third point from b Bechter. nebraska could not care less about cu is not a good take yeah i agree obviously that's a great take uh is it that deep of a rivalry research because yes example sal is dead go big red nebraska fans sure seemed like they cared about cu when i was in lincoln last year thanks for another great pod it was good to hear bsn rams takes so i could argue 
Since when did they get an elite D-line? Serious question. Colin Hill over Steven Montez is so laughable, I'm not even going to address it. Uh, he also said, sorry for the long comment. You can paraphrase if you want. I didn't want. I was interested in all of it. Um, Nebraska is 100% a rival. Nebraska knows that they're a rival. If you've been on Twitter, you know that. If you've been on the forums, you've seen that. It's very obvious. It's... So there's there's definitely a little brother big brother situation with Colorado Colorado State Colorado State being the little brother of course the same thing is true of Nebraska and Colorado I agree with Justin on that point Colorado I it's it's actually very reminiscent of the uh, Avalanche Red Wings NHL rivalry back in the 90s where it seemed like every year they were back and forth deciding who was going to go to the Western Conference Finals who was going to go to Stanley Cup all this kind of stuff. Great rivalry, classic NHL rivalry. The Red Wings came out on top. Nebraska came out on top over CU in that rivalry. Sure, Nebraska or like Colorado had their moments where they pulled through national title, all that kind of stuff. But Nebraska became the powerhouse in in part because of that rivalry. CU did turn into the little brother. Um, the difference is that they aren't as much of a little brother because these are both Power Five schools. These are schools who legitimately in four or five years could become powerhouses because they have that they have that platform the pac-12 you know where people will watch because people will be watching usc and people will be watching washington and people will be watching oregon and utah because Utah's good and every time that colorado plays one of those teams they have a chance to win and become closer to becoming one of those teams because they're in a power five conference and you can build to becoming to become an elite program in the country in a way that you can't when you're in the mountain West, Colorado should be the big brother to Colorado state because Colorado state's a mountain West team and Colorado is a PAC 12 team. There's a big difference. And anytime that Colorado state beats Colorado, that's a huge upset. When Colorado beats Nebraska, that's not a huge upset. Sure. It's an upset, but you know, the rank 25th or whatever. Yeah. It's a it's it's a bigger win for Colorado than it would be a Nebraska one, but not nearly to the same magnitude of Colorado, Colorado State. Um, and that's my take there. I don't want to dig too deep into it because uh, we dug deep pre- yesterday and we can have Justin talk more about Saturday at the watch party and again when he's on the podcast next week at some point. Uh, comment from B Mixer. How did CSU get a good D-line? Oh, we're back on that. We'll, we, we'll ask Justin that one, too. We'll talk more about that D-line. Uh, they have nothing on tape that says they have become better, and they were awful last year. The only reason I would say CU's is better is that Johnson is back, and he is better than anybody CSU will throw up there. By far. I will throw in a by far. Uh, maybe if they had a decent D-line, they could beat Air Force and the triple option. When was the last time Georgia Tech and their option beat Georgia? Uh, here's when. Actually, it was in Mel Tucker's first season as Georgia's defensive coordinator. Uh, Georgia Tech beat Georgia in 2016, and before that, they beat him in 2014. So, I mean, in that span, Georgia's still 3-2 and two over Georgia Tech, but this has been a pretty dominant Georgia team. I think I, I went through and counted it up earlier. They're 52-16 and 16 over the last five years, 3-2 and two against Georgia Tech. There's, there's definitely something to that option offense. I don't know. We'll see. Um, on Montez and Hill, Montez has won in in Oregon and Nebraska. Hill has not done much except be hurt. I understand he looked good at times as a freshman, but Neuer looked great in the spring game, and now he is a safety. This year will decide a lot for both, but Montez has done more than Hill in my opinion. He's definitely done more. The Hill talk is all projection. It's because he's a bright guy. Um, he, he seems like a guy who could stick around the NFL as a backup for a long time because maybe he doesn't have the talent. He, ha- he just hasn't proven it yet. There's just that hype there. Montez has proven quite a bit, but he's also shown some flaws. He needs to correct those flaws. Montez is definitely the better pro prospect over Colin Hill. And, and that's not just us saying that. That's every ranking out there. Interesting to hear that there's some hype, though. Good to know going into the game. Makes it more fun when the buffs beat him. 
The RMS does not bring hype to the game, in my opinion. Every CU fan is talking Nebraska, and can they beat USC? The only thing about CSU is if CU does not blow them out, then it will be a bad year in Boulder. Yeah, no, that sums it up. Like, there's a huge gap between CU and CSU. There isn't a huge gap between CU and Nebraska. I mean, CU being Nebraska would be a better win than it would be a bad loss if they lost because they aren't favorites. It'd be a horrible loss if CU doesn't beat CSU. It would mean almost nothing if CU beat CSU. There's a gap there. There's a much larger gap than the gap between CU and Nebraska, although there is a gap there, a gap that could change by the end of the series. Uh, listening to sports talk today, 95% of the talk was about the Broncos, and last year, the day of the game, the sports talk host knew nothing about either team. If CSU wants a cheap road game, I am sure UNC would love to hear or have them in Greeley every year. Yeah, it's it's too bad that the local sports guys don't care more about CU. There are a bunch of reasons for that. The Broncos have been one of the best NFL franchises forever. This is obviously a Broncos city, Broncos town, Broncos state. It's just what it is. They've built that brand. It's also true that Denver is, it might be the smallest market that has NFL, NHL, MLB, NBA teams all in the city. And so that splits up so much of the attention. There aren't, there's so many things going on that people don't have time to support CU. And it's so easy here to get to a Nuggets game or Rockies game because they're splitting attention. The tickets are cheap because, you know, it's, it just creates this environment where pro sports are so accessible because of the amount of them compared to the number of people that there isn't much time for the college stuff. And I think that for now, that's not a battle that CU needs to fight, which I said earlier. We don't need to go back through all that. It is disappointing. You'd think that having the Rocky Mountain Showdown in Denver would get more interest from the sports radio guys. It's disappointing to hear that they didn't know anything about either team. Not all that surprising. I bet 20 years ago when, or even 30 years ago, when the teams were good, it would have it would have been different. And maybe, maybe 10 years from now, both these programs can kind of figure things out and make this a matchup that people are really interested in. That's the hope. A lot of things are going to change in the next 10 years, whether it's realignment, the TV deals, all sorts of stuff. We don't know what to project, but right now having this game in Denver doesn't work. It doesn't make sense. Take a break, figure out what to bring back about this rivalry and go from there. That's my advice. And that's all I have for you guys today. Uh, a couple notes, as always, before we end. Use the promo code SCOBUFFS, S-K-O-B-U-F-F-S, to get $10 off a subscription. You can comment on the podcast. I'll read your comment. We can talk about it. You guys have had some great comments uh, the last couple days, and I really appreciate them because I don't like coming up with topics. I like talking about what you guys want to talk about. That's what's the most fun. Uh, comment on all the other stuff. Read all of our content. Get a free shirt. It's $34.99 for all that stuff. Promo code SCOBUFFS, S-K-O-B-U-F-F-S on bsndenver.com. If you want to leave a comment, go to the post for today's show. It'll be something like uh, breaking down the buffs depth chart. Click on the page, uh, scroll down to the bottom, leave your comment. We'll talk about it on Monday. Hopefully, I'll see you guys tomorrow. Got a chance to win some Broncos tickets at Blake Street Tavern. Uh, we can watch the Broncos preseason game. We can pretend to watch and actually watch some college football. That's what I'm excited about. So excited for the season to get going. So excited for the Pac-12 to start because these games, Arizona could really make the Pac-12 look bad if they lose to Hawaii, and that's on the table. That's definitely on the table. Hope to see you there. Hope to see you Sunday at, uh, I got to learn how to say the name of this field, Pretnup, Prentup, Prentup, somewhere on the East Boulder campus, East Colorado campus, whatever. Uh, when the Buff soccer team takes on the Boston University Terriers, maybe? We're going to call them the Terriers. Uh, at noon, I'll be there. It's going to be a blast. Taylor Corniak, something else to watch. This whole squad is its pretty stacked. They could do some damage, and I hope to see you there. And if not, I'll talk to you again on Monday, which is game week. We're a week away from Buffs football, and I could not be more excited. And I'm very happy that you guys have decided to make me a part of your day. So thank you. Bye, guys. I think they like my Colorado swag.
can see you later, baby. baby. Colorado Army, with soldiers like the Navy. Yeah. And voters where we stationed, patiently awaiting. When I hit the field, it's so hard to behave. Yeah. I'm Colorado swagging at the crowd, do the wave. Look into my eyes, I can tell that you afraid. Uh-huh. Cause you know we finna hit ya. Hit ya. Hit ya. Hit ya. Hey. Hey. You on your own now, why you watching the official? Yeah. You just better hope you make it to the next whistle.